0: Danny cried the whole way. I could hear him softly just moaning, and Christy was dying. God, all the blood, all the pain.
1: Hi guys, I'm Ashley. And I'm Ricky. And we're the host of Crime Salad. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crimes weekly every Wednesday. Parts of our podcast may be unsuitable for some listeners. Listener's discretion is advised.
2: So this week's episode is about three children whose lives would suddenly change forever. This case is a whirlwind of lies and deceit.
1: This is the story of Diane Downs.
2: On the night of May 19, 1983, Diane Downs, a divorced single mother, rushed her red Nissan Pulsar into the emergency room bay of the Mackenzie-Williamette Hospital in Springfield, Oregon, with a gunshot wound in her left arm and her three children covered in blood. Her seven-year-old daughter Cheryl was in the passenger seat with a fatal gunshot wound Along with her three year old brother Danny and eight year old sister Christy, still fighting for their lives in the back seat. Who could have done this? And a better question is why?
1: Well, according to Diane, in her initial statement, she had taken the kids out to visit a friend. As it got later that evening, they headed home and on their way, Diane decided to take a deserted country back road to do some sightseeing. Which, keep in mind, this was a Thursday, around 10 p.m. and on a school night. As she was heading down this dark road, a mysterious man stepped out from the darkness and waved her down. Diane quickly pulled over at his request while her three children were asleep in the car. Diane then got out of her car and asked him what he wanted. That's when a bushy-haired man said, I want your car. Diane responded, you have got to be kidding me. He then forcefully shoved her to the side, shot Diane in the left arm, reached into the vehicle shooting her three children, one by one at point-blank range. Quickly thinking, Diane faked through her keys into the darkness, distracting the gunman long enough to jump back into her vehicle and race her wounded children to the hospital in an attempt to save their lives. Back at the hospital, nurses rushed the three children into the trauma room. Diane followed quickly behind them, wanting to stay with her children, but then was escorted back out of the room and into the waiting room. Back in the waiting room, a front desk receptionist named Judy Patterson sat Diane down and asked her to try to explain the events that had just played out. This is when Diane tells the receptionist a story very similar to the story she would later tell police, but with one key difference. Diane explains to the receptionist when leaving her friend's house, all the children were awake and laughing in the car as they took the long way home to do some sightseeing. Once the police arrived to the hospital, she retells the story, but only this time, stating all three of her children were asleep. So what was it? Were all three children asleep? Or were they all awake, laughing and having a good time with their mother?
2: this time, police ask her to come back to the crime scene to see if they can gather any information about the attacker. The police begin to thoroughly investigate the crime scene, searching for any evidence and a possible murder weapon. Police find twenty-two caliber bullet casings at the scene of the crime, but no murder weapon was found. Diane and police then return to the hospital and are met with terrible news. Cheryl had succumbed to her gun wound. However, Danny was still expected to recover, but risked being paralyzed permanently. Christy was undergoing emergency surgery due to having a stroke from massive blood loss. And even after hearing all of this devastating news, Diane showed no emotion, only commenting on how surprised she was that a bullet piercing through Danny's back did not hit his heart. This is where it all starts to get a little suspicious. Things are beginning to not add up. The detective on the case felt Diane was very suspicious. There were a number of things that didn't seem to make sense right off the bat. The first detail sticking out to the detective was, why would you be sightseeing when it's pitch black outside, and with three sleeping children in the car? And why would the killer shoot three children point blank, but Diane being the biggest threat was only shot in the arm? Their suspicions grew greater when Diane would first visit her then eight-year-old daughter, Christy, still recovering in her hospital bed. A dramatic scene played out. When Christy first noticed her mother, her eyes widened with fear as her heart rate drastically increased as it was being monitored on a machine next to her bed. This is where we witness a huge red flag. Diane then suggests to the doctor to pull the plug because she knew her child had brain damage. The doctor responded, we don't even know if she has brain damage yet. We haven't tested for it.
1: Around this time, police would receive a tip from a witness claiming to see a car matching the same description being driven very slowly towards the hospital on the same road as the incident, going an estimated speed of between five to seven miles per hour. This claim contradicts Diane's original claim that she drove to the hospital at a high speed after the shooting. Further into the investigation, Diane told investigators she had owned two weapons. While searching Diane's house, they did find the two weapons and ammunition mentioned. But strangely, they also found a box of standard 22 caliber bullets bullets that would later perfectly match the bullets removed from herself and her three children. The big question following the search of her home was, why would she own bullets for a gun she did not own?
2: With suspicions continuing the rise of Diane's involvement, Diane is adamant that she had nothing to do with it. In interviews with the media, it seemed the more she talked, the guiltier she seemed.
0: Why would I have taken my kids to the hospital? Wouldn't I have made sure they were dead and then cried crocodile tears? That's insane to think that I would do such a thing and then bring the the witnesses in against myself. That's crazy.
2: One thing I just can't wrap my mind around is the fact that Diane just pulled her car over for a total stranger on some weird back road, with all three of her children still asleep in the car. I mean, this just isn't something a protecting mother would likely do.
1: And as a mother, I can honestly say I would never stop for a strange man waving me down. If anything, I would lock the doors and go faster. Even if I were alone, I still wouldn't stop. Maybe I'd like call the police and let them know someone needs help. But my main priority would be keeping my kids safe.
2: Diana's seen on the news reenacting the events for an interview with ABC's 2020. Let's take a second and listen to this clip. From the sound of her voice, it's hard to even imagine this is the same person who lost one child and has two children still in the hospital fighting for their lives just four days after the shooting. Sitting in the car is Elizabeth Diane Downs, one of the victims of this uh, murder attempt murder. I'm
0: throwing the keys, okay? I'm throwing the keys.
2: Simulating, Yes, I go like that. I got
0: in the car, jumped in, put the keys in. I just hit my cat! Started the car and left. The car door shut
2: itself. During the reenactment, Diane can be heard laughing, joking, even flirting with the interviewer. It's obvious here. Diane is loving the spotlight. Diane can again be heard complaining about her injury in a second interview. Focusing on the inconvenience of not being able to tie her own shoe and the noticeable scar she'll have to live with on her arm for the rest of her life.
0: Everybody says, you sure were lucky. Well, I don't feel very lucky. I couldn't tie my damn shoes for about two months. The scar is going to be there forever. I'm going to remember that night for the rest of my life, whether I want to or not. I don't think I was very lucky. I think my kids were lucky. If I had been shot the way they were, we all would have
1: died. This part just gives me chills. I just can't believe a mother who actually lost a child can go on talking about her scar that will be on her arm forever she never once mentions the child that passed away or the kids that are still in the hospital during this interview
2: yeah and it's like every time she talks in the media it's like she's trying to portray herself as like some type of like hero you know
1: yeah and this interview as a whole just totally blows my mind The statements Diane continues to make to the media are not buying her any sympathy from the community. Diane seems to become much more interested in herself and less concerned about her children. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life, so I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crimesalad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com help, slash crimesalad. We still are left with so many questions. There are so many holes in this case, and after everything, it all seems to point to one person, Diane Downs. But, if Diane killed her kids, why? I think to answer this question, we have to dive a little deeper into her relationship history, and more importantly, her total infatuation with men. Diane's ex-husband, Steve Downs, who still lives in Arizona and is now divorced from Diane, assures us their marriage was always shaky. Diane was manipulative and had many affairs during their marriage. In an interview with Steve, he tells police Diane actually owned a third gun. And ironically, the third gun she owned was a .22 caliber pistol, more specifically A 22 caliber Ruger Mark IV semi-automatic pistol that just so happened to use the same bullets found in her home. And also the same gun police believed was used at the scene of the crime.
2: Police also asked Steve about people who may have been involved in Diane's life at the time. He revealed she was having an affair with a married man back in Arizona a couple months before moving to Oregon. Diane worked for the post office as a postal worker, with a man named Robert Knickerbocker. While working with Robert, and after many friendly platonic conversations, the two were starting to get close. Robert was unlike any man Diane had ever been with. He was very caring and thoughtful. The only problem? He was a married man. But this didn't deter Diane. She was completely love-struck and persistent about her infatuation with Robert. But eventually, Robert would give in. The two really hit it off. So much, in fact, he would later suggest getting matching rose tattoos, and talked about a future living together in Oregon. Although, there seemed to be one more thing standing in the way between Diane and her happiness... The fact that Robert did not want kids whatsoever. Months before moving to Oregon, Robert seemed to be going back and forth between his wife and Diane. Eventually, Robert would return to his wife and did not accompany Diane and her children on their move to Oregon. Could this be Diane's motive to eliminate the one thing standing in her way? Her children?
1: Back in Oregon, the investigation continues. During the forensic investigation with Diane's car, they confirmed the gunpowder residue and blood splatter does not match with Diane's version of what happened the night of the attack. So at this point, evidence is starting to pile up against Diane. Many who originally followed her story are starting to view her as more of a suspect than a victim. All of Diane's resources are beginning to deplete. And Diane is starting to feel the pressure. This is where I believe Diane would take a leap of faith, a hail Mary of sorts. And just weeks before the trial would begin, Diane seduces a young, attractive man on her postal route with the sole goal of getting pregnant. Diane was successful. Diane spoke about her pregnancy to the media.
0: I got pregnant. Because I miss Christy, and I miss Danny, and I miss Cheryl so much. I'm never going to see Cheryl on earth again. And I just, you can't replace children, but you can replace the effect that they give you. And they give me love, they give me satisfaction, they give me stability. They give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy. And, and that's gone. They took it from me. But children are so easy
1: to conceive. Obviously, this was some sort of attempt to gain sympathy from the jury. I think in her eyes, this was a way to show the jury she loved children and was a loving mother.
2: May 10th, 1984. The trial begins and would last a grueling six weeks. Let it be known, Diane is now nine months pregnant, and her time with her unborn child is quickly narrowing. Once her baby is born, it will be immediately taken into custody and placed for adoption her two remaining children are already in a foster home. Just to recap, Danny is now five. He is wheelchair-bound and paralyzed from the waist down, while his sister Christy, now nine, still suffers from the effects of a stroke, and her speech is limited to a few words at a time as a result of the attack. The only witnesses in the trial are Danny and Christy. However, Danny is too young to testify against his mother, but they believe Christy can be a key witness in the trial. Danny and Christy have both gone through extensive physical therapy and emotional counseling leading up to the trial. An unfazed Diane Downs can be seen laughing and chatting with her attorney before the mostly female jury enters the room. Throughout the trial... Diane shows little emotion and continues to desperately stick to her story. Christy Downs is then asked to take the stand, to testify against her mother, Diane Downs.
1: At this point, think about how much Christy has been through and how brave and strong this little girl is. From losing a sibling, suffering a stroke, spending weeks in the hospital, tons of counseling and therapy and then to be handed off to foster care. I can't even imagine what she's been through physically and emotionally. And then, at what can be summarized as the most emotional point of the trial, Christy Downs is asked one question. Prosecutor Fred Hughey asked her, Who shot you? And Christy replied back, one single word, Mom. The courtroom went silent. You could hear a pin drop. With Christie's testament as an eyewitness to the crime, the jury heard what they needed to hear and were quickly able to come to a final verdict. Diane was then found guilty and convicted of murder, attempted murder, and assault. Being sentenced to life in prison plus 50 years. After the case was over, the prosecutor, Fred Hughey, and his wife, decided to adopt both Christy and Danny Downs. This may seem a little odd, but Fred actually developed quite a connection with both Danny and Christy throughout the trial. I absolutely love this ending. After all the terrible events, Danny and Christy are now living a happy life together with their new family. Fred and his new family put the past behind them They avoid the media, and they try to live the most normal life possible.
2: Diane then gave birth to her fourth child, naming her Amy. She was quickly adopted out to a loving family and given the new name Becky. Growing up, Becky never knew who her biological mother was. It wasn't until she was older that she found out. Out of curiosity, Becky reached out to her biological mother, Diane, by letter but only to exchange a few back-and-forth messages before deciding to cut her mother out of her life for good. In July of 1988, Diane would escape from prison. An assistant superintendent of the women's prison Diane was being kept reported Diane was in the recreation yard with several other inmates when she climbed a tall razor-wire fence and hitched a ride away from the prison. A motion sensor on the fence triggered an alarm, but by the time a guard would reach the yard, Diane had disappeared. This sparked a manhunt spanning over 14 states over 10 days. Police searched her cell for any clues to where she could have gone and were rewarded when finding an address and a map indented into a notepad left behind in her cell. Following this lead police find Diane in the bedroom of a wooden frame house with a local 36-year-old man not too far from the prison she escaped. To no surprise, when Diane was brought back to the prison, they immediately gave her a pregnancy test. After many speculated her intentions of this escape was solely to get pregnant.
1: Think about how scary this must have been for Danny, Christy, and their new adoptive parents. I think this is the main reason Diane would later be relocated to a New Jersey prison far away from her children. As of today, Diane is still serving her sentence in prison. She's been up for parole a few times, but each time, her parole has been declined. Diane has still been able to maintain her spotlight by releasing two books and making the most out of any media attention she can get to plead her innocence. So this concludes the story of Diane Downs. Let us know what you think about Diane's case on our website at crimesaladpodcast.com. And please, if you enjoyed our first episode, follow us on Instagram at crimesaladpodcast and write us on iTunes and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Do you have a case that would be awesome for our podcast? Feel free to reach out to us directly. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you all so much for listening to Crime Salad. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crimes weekly every Wednesday. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you
2: kidding me?